Genesis 1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so.
And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. We're in a series going through Genesis, uh, chapter by chapter. We're calling it Jesus and Genesis, the Roots of the Gospel. We're going through the book and looking for pictures, prophecies, promises, principles of Jesus. This is our third week to meet together. The first week, we looked at the very first word of the book, Bereshit, which is what this book is called in Hebrew. It means in beginning. If you break down Bereshit according to its letters and chase the origin of those letters, the gospel is in the word. The Son of God was sacrificed at the hand of man on the cross. It's there. If you're interested in that, check out the podcast. Last time I spoke, we spoke on creation's illumination. The first day of creation, God created light, yet it wasn't until the fourth day of creation he created the stars and the sun. So light must have a source to be light. So who was the source of that light? God was. The entrance of his word brings light. We know that Jesus is the word made flesh, and he proclaimed himself to be the light of the world. Today we're going to look at this whole chapter at about 20 signposts, real quickly, that remind me of the actions of Jesus, the character of Jesus, and the names of Jesus. First of all, on the first day of creation, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. Job, in speaking of God, in chapter 9 of the book named after him, verse 8, says that God stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. In verse 3, he creates the light of the world. We looked at this last time I spoke. And uh, we also see in Revelation, he's going to be the light of heaven. There will be no more sun or stars there. The, there won't be any night there because the light of the city will be the Lamb. You ever sing that old hymn? 
Oh, in that city where the Lamb is alive, in that city where there cometh no night, I've got a mansion over there, and it's free from toil and care. Are you going where the Lamb is alive? In the second day of creation, we see the atmosphere being made, the firmament dividing the waters below the firmament from the waters above the firmament. He creates the atmosphere where the, where the climate takes place. And this, to me, points to Jesus because he had control of the climate, of the weather. They marveled that even the wind and the waves obeyed him. Also, in the third day of creation, he, calls, he caused dry land to appear. This is significant because he was going to come and preach on the land, and not just land, but on a specific place on the surface of the earth. Who's heard of Israel? And a big part of his ministry where he pe- preached to the largest crowds was around the lowest water, freshwater elevated, in terms of elevation, the lowest freshwater lake in the world, Galilee. Who's been there? Did you observe the acoustical meadows? No, you got to go back. There are meadows around that thing where you can talk. Perfect place for the Son of God to come and preach to thousands. 5,000 men plus women and children. How many people is that? 15,000 or more. Could be heard without electronics just by the virtue of the surface of the earth that he made on the third day. On the third day, there was plants and vegetation. And so we see in verse 11 and 12 that vegetation is given. And this, to me, points to Jesus because he would multiply bread. What's bread made from? Wheat, right? He cursed a fig tree to demonstrate his authority. He talked about telling sycamore trees to be plucked up by the roots and be cast into the sea. He prayed among olive trees. He used lilies and grass to preach against worrying. He's known, according to Song of Songs, as the Rose of Sharon and Lily of the Valley. Even as a baby, as a young child, he was given by the wise men provisions, gold that came out of the earth, frankincense, and myrrh, which is a product from trees. On the fourth day of creation, he made the stars. And this reminds me of Revelation twenty two sixteen, 16, where Jesus is called the bright and morning star. Talk about stars. He is the star. And in Malachi, he's called the son of righteousness. So on this fourth day of creation, the sun is made, and the moon is made. He's called the sun. We, we know we worship him as the sun, S-O-N, but he's called the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness who will arise with healing in his wings. This is prophesied in Malachi 4.2. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings for you people who fear my name. This is a promise to those who have great respect for God. And the result of his healing is you will go out and leap like calves let out of a stall. Who's ever seen leaping calves? Who hasn't seen leaping calves? Well, from now on, you will not have to raise your hand. Watch this. You reckon that baby's happy? Yes, happy, happy, happy. 
Then on the fifth day, he made the oceans and the waters teem with fish. You realize how many miracles Jesus performed with fish? He liked them. I mean, his last two meals recorded in the Bible involve fish. There was the calling of Peter into the ministry, cast your net on the other side. There's a renewing that calling of the ministry with the disciples, cast your net on the other side. Both times was net breaking loads of fishes as uh, they all tried. My dad used to say, every fish in the Sea of Galilee tried to get in that net. If only we would be as responsible to the word of God as those fish are. Even in his last appearance where he had fish with bread on the beach of Galilee with the disciples and he renewed Peter's calling, when they got to shore, he already had cooked fish waiting on him. You reckon that was another miracle? I don't know. John says, you know, if the world knew all the miracles, we wouldn't be able to handle the books. Also on the fifth day, birds were made. Beautiful. Aren't birds awesome? Man, you ever go somewhere there's lots of birds? Get you a bird book and figure out which birds are what they are and then read about them. It's an, they're amazing creatures. This points to the Holy Spirit who's not a bird, but he descended on Jesus like a dove. Jesus used sparrows and raisin, ravens, ravens to teach faith. If they can survive, why can't you? What are you doing worrying? They don't know where their next meal's coming from, and yet they thrive. And when one falls, your father knows. And then, of course, the sixth day, here comes the creation of the mammal kingdom and the reptilian kingdom, things that creep, all the creeps. And Jesus was born in a stable, a place for livestock, farm animals and laid in a manger, a stone feeding tub, where food would be put for animals to eat out of. So the creation of cattle, it's meant, it mentions cattle right there, is so significant to me. He's known as the Lamb of God. Shepherds came to view him at his birth. He's known as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist introduced him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, according to Revelation 5.5. What does that mean? Well, there's a prophecy made over Judah. In Genesis, we'll get to it one day, where he's promised to be like a lion. And Jesus is, is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, here's the scripture I want to read, verse 26, to the end of the chapter. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He literally said, let us make Adam in our image according to our likeness. God is so awesome, he can speak of himself in the plural. When Isaiah had that great revelation of God in the temple and his lips were cleansed, with coals from the altar. God said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Whom shall I send, singular, who will go for us, plural? That's how awesome our God is. 
He is one God, and yet he's expressed in so many ways. And we know him, according to scriptures, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet in the Old Testament, there's the angel of the Lord. There's these amazing manifestations where he chooses to reveal himself, the burning bush and other things. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So are we singular beings? Yes. Are we plural beings? Not necessarily, but according to the scriptures, as I understand it, we are spirit, soul, and body. And yet we're not always in unity. Before we're born again, our spirit's dead. That's a mess. Our minds are carnal. That's a mess. And our bodies are going to die. But now, through the new birth, our spirit's been reborn. Our mind is being renewed, and one day our bodies are going to be replaced. Who's looking forward to that day the older you get? But sometimes, even as a born-again person, there's conflict within me, myself, and I. My spirit wants to pray. My mind wants to be entertained. And my body wants to sleep. Who's going to win? This is the process of growing. We learn to feed our spirit to go that direction. All right, back to the text. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So over all the creeps. So God created man in his own image. He created Adam, again, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So they are the original Adam's family. Look at chapter 5, chapter 5. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, or in the day that God created Adam, he made him the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and blessed them, and called them Adam in the day they were created. Oh, I thought she was called Eve. Adam did that to her after the fall, which is what sin does. It'll make you label your wife, make you label your husband. We put labels on things. You're just a this, or you're just a that. That's a whole other sermon. Let's go back. Let us make man in our image. Let them have dominion. So I believe this was perfect dominion, not the dominion on the earth that we see today. Our dominion pollutes the atmosphere, creates all sorts of messes, right? And our dominion, we marvel at the dominion a person may have over a white tiger till he bites him and injures him seriously. And then we learn real quick, we don't have the dominion that man was first given. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. Can you say food? 
And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day, the end of the chapter. We were made in the image of God. He could also say, and it would not be incorrect, we were made in the image of he who was to come. Jesus is known, according to 1 Corinthians 15, as the last Adam. Some people call him the second Adam, but that implies there might be a third one. He's the last one. There's not going to be another one. So from our forefathers' failure, Adam, sin came into the world, and we lost our dominion. We still have a measure of dominion, just to me that points to what we once had as, as God's creation. But Jesus came as a last Adam and exercised incredible and has restored authority to us, starting with the one who tempted the first man and the first wife, Satan. So we were made in his image, the image of one who is and who was to come. Humans would lose much of their God-given dominion, but Messiah came exercising dominion, proving that he had it and can restore it to us. We saw him demonstrate his power over disease, demons, and death, and promise the same to us. And in the animal kingdom, we saw his dominion over fish. You read those amazing fish stories. We see his dominion over an unbroken colt. In Luke 19, 29 to 40, is an amazing story where he sends his disciples to get in a colt that had never been ridden on. He got on that thing and rode him through a crowd that was noisy and boisterous that had another crowd denouncing them. That would spook any equine creature, right? Jesus exercising perfect dominion. And finally, this is so good. Remember the promise of food at the end of chapter 1 of Genesis? Jesus came and enjoyed food. Even after his resurrection, at each appearance, I believe, food is involved. Where'd that bread come from that he served the disciples on the beach in Galilee? I don't know. But there was another miracle with fish. Remember he caught a fish and got a coin out of his mouth to pay taxes with? I'd like to try that. I've not yet had it. I don't have the same dominion, right? In Luke 24, he, you know, he follows the guys to, to Emmaus and breaks the bread. They're eating fish with honey. You ever had fried chicken with honey? Oh, it's good. I'm going to have to try fish with honey. The Lord had it. A honeycomb. Who, who's ever chewed that comb? It's awesome. So he knows what's good. And, you know, I'm messing with you. Getting close to noon. But this is, this is Genesis chapter 1. These are signposts that point to the Savior. You ever go somewhere and you're lost? What do you do? You look for a sign. Go in a big building, you got to use the restroom, you look for a sign. Bible starts with signs from the very first word that point to the Savior. I have the sense that there may be some here who are thinking this. Can we say it together on the count of three? 
real loud. One, two, three. Thank you for asking. <laughs> you may think, well, you Jesus people, you just see him all over the place. I just don't see it. In fact, I don't even see creation. I believe in evolution. I don't have faith to believe in creation. Well, it takes faith to believe in evolution, right? When you see the beauty of design and the intricate engineering in a bird feather, it's easy to believe that there's a designer behind that all. When I was in the eighth grade, I heard a coach hold up a basketball and tell me that the whole universe used to be that size, and then it exploded. I thought, dude, you got some faith there. Watch this. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. I don't know, I'm pretty satisfied with, with uh, the explanation of the evolutionists. Um, yes, I do believe we are descended from animals. The evolution is obvious. Man was not created in God's image, God was created in man's image in order to address those things about which we were ignorant. I think part of the grand joke of it all is that, you know, before there was feet, there was flippers. Before there was lungs, there was gills. And, you know, it's all part of that process that uh, got us where we are today, gridlocked and angry. I sometimes wonder why anybody talks about anything else, because this is the most interesting topic there is. Where do we come from? How did we get here? What brought us into existence? What is our relationship to reality as a whole? You look at the incredible diversity and complexity of life, and inevitably the question arises, what brought all this into existence? Was it simply chance and necessity, undirected natural forces? Or is there something else going on? Is there a purpose, a plan, a design, a design due to an intelligent cause? It's really interesting to notice that the more we know about life and the more we know about biology, the more problems Darwinism has and the more design becomes apparent. We have not the slightest chance of a chemical evolutionary origin for even the simplest uh, of cells. The discovery of the information-bearing properties of DNA and RNA is a fundamental challenge to all materialistic theories of the origin of life. Neo-Darwinism and its associated theories of chemical evolution and the like will not be able to survive the biology of the information age, the biology of the 21st century. When I look at the evidence objectively, without ruling out the possibility of design, design just leaps up as the most likely explanation. And that's why I believe that it's true. We can't explain these systems by natural law. And if we're searching for truth, and they are in fact designed, if we have to be design engineers to understand them, then I say, what's the problem? You know, you go where the data leads you. 
and the implications. Yeah, they have profound metaphysical implications, but so be it. For several centuries, we've been told that the universe does not have us in mind. That is, that we exist in a small speck of dust in a very large universe, and that the universe was not designed for beings like us. Our argument suggests something completely different. It suggests that the universe was intended, that the universe exists for a purpose. The laws of physics are balanced on a razor's edge for life to occur. What you have is a universe that is not only finely tuned for life to occur, but also has a beautiful, elegant mathematical structure and a structure such that we can discover that structure. There's something about the universe that can't be simply explained just by the impersonal forces of nature and atoms colliding with atoms. And so you have to reach for something beyond the universe to try to account for it. The founders of modern science, like Copernicus and Kepler and Galileo and Newton himself, believed that the universe was the product of a mind, that it was intelligible to beings like ourselves because the universe itself was the product of an intelligent being. I was trained in journalism and law to respond to truth. I had to take a step of faith in the same direction that that evidence is flowing. You don't have to commit intellectual suicide to come to the conclusion that there is an intelligent designer. Because today, science is pointing more directly and more powerfully toward a creator than any other time in the history of the world. does not have to commit intellectual suicide to come to the conclusion that there's intelligent design involved in creation. How many hours have you sat in the classroom and been taught this stuff? Or in front of a TV and been taught evolution? I appeal to you, give equal time to investigate the evidence, the science, involved in exploring design. You don't even have to spend a lot of money. You can go on the internet. Not that you believe everything on the internet, but there is truth out there. You gotta use wisdom, right? Explore. Set yourself on a quest. You've given enough time to the secular world, the world that wants to be atheistic, not be accountable to God. Give time. Even go to Glenrose. I mean, we're right here, we're ideal location. The Dinosaur State Park, go there, and then go to the Creation Evidence Museum while you're there. Give yourself some time. It's time that we stop going to school like catfish, swallowing everything coming our way. It's time to be critical thinkers and think for ourselves. Romans 1 says, ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. 
So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they have begun to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles and pseudoscience. This chapter goes on to mention the social chaos, the sexual destruction that would happen in a culture that resists the reality of God as revealed in nature. And we see it happening in our day. Evolution, the word of God. Evolution wants to silence, wants to blind, wants to cloak you with theories. When I went to school, it was still called a theory. When did it become a fact? Hello. If you tell a lie long enough, it becomes the truth. That's what I have heard said. There were two men traveling by train through the Rocky Mountains. One looking out the window saw the beauty of nature and says, man, when you see the snow-capped mountains, and the flower-filled valleys, and the gorgeous waterfalls, you have to know there is a God when you see the deer and the antelope play. The other one said, I disagree. When I smell a rose, I believe I have a rose. When I look at a beautiful mountain, I believe that's a beautiful mountain because I'm using my eyes. When I hear a beautiful song, I believe that's beautiful music because I hear it with my ears. When I taste a beautiful meal, I believe I've had a great dinner, because I've tasted it with my taste buds. But I don't see God, I don't smell God, I don't hear God, I don't taste God. Therefore, I conclude there is no God. The other man replied, do you smell with your eyes? No, that's not what they're for. Do you see with your ears? No, that's not what they're for. Do you see with your mouth? No. That's ridiculous. Well, just as that's ridiculous, using faculties for something for which they were not intended, your five senses were not intended for you to see God, but for you to see the effects of God. Faith is what it takes to see God. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Hebrews 11.3. This is how we understand. This is how we read the signpost. And they're everywhere, not just in Genesis chapter 1, not just in the Bible, but in the lives of people around you and in the natural world in which we live. The sky that we look at, the ground that we walk on, the water that we swim in and fish from. Testimonies to the greatness of the Creator. Speaking of the sky, this picture was taken from the Hubble Space Telescope. And it's called Section M51 of the Whirlpool Galaxy. I think that's a signpost to me. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that every person here would come to faith in you, if not. I pray, Lord, that they would if they've been irritated or annoyed, Lord, that they wouldn't just swallow what's being told through 
the secular world, but Lord, they would set out on a quest themselves to discover whether or not this universe is designed with such intricacy, it's no other way than to come to a conclusion that you're the designer. Lord, I pray that you would reveal your love to each person here, that they would know they're not here by accident, that they have a purpose and a calling to fulfill in their lives. And Lord, I pray you'd make us all signposts that point to the Savior. Thank you. Amen. Let's worship the Lord's name.
Oh 